you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. Previously on California City. Oh, wait a minute. I am in business. I don't want to say anything about suicidal, okay? What do I want to say? In Kern County, you know, this is not really a secret. But the thing is, is what they're doing, is, as far as we know, is not illegal. At 10 a.m., on Wednesday, September 25th, 2019, 11 people gathered in the parking lot of an industrial office park next to the airport runway in Burbank, California. There were four employees of a company called Regulatory Resolutions, all wearing suits. Three California Highway Patrol officers in beige uniforms with guns on their hips. Two investigators for the California Department of Business Oversight. One locksmith and one computer forensic specialist named Joe. They opened the door to a long hallway, and all 11 of them walked up a flight of carpeted stairs. They stopped right outside a cheap-looking wooden door. There were two pieces of paper taped to it. One had a Microsoft Word clipart smiley face giving a disembodied thumbs up. It read, Ah, you made it. See, that wasn't so bad now, was it? The other sign said, Welcome to Silver Saddle. It was the company's headquarters. Meanwhile, managers at three different banks received an email from Regulatory Resolutions instructing them to freeze all of Silver Saddle's bank accounts. And 113 miles away, four CHP officers, two employees of Regulatory Resolutions, and another locksmith drove past Galileo Hill, past the gatehouse, and down the long driveway that leads to Silver Saddle Ranch. It had been 61 years since Nat Mendelssohn started selling the dream of California City. But when you went, was there anything there at the time? No, no, it was just dirt. It's gonna be wonderful. He was very optimistic and very excited about it. 48 years since the Nader's Raiders called it the big lie. If you profit, at the expense of people who are being duped, then you're evil, literally. There's an evilness to that. 42 years since Ken Donny tried to stop it. They prey on what we all share in humanity, which is our wishful thinking. 34 years since Tom Maney started Silver Saddle. What, so what are you saying? I'm saying they may not, they may exaggerate their claims. And more than two years since Ben Perez got home after a long, strange weekend and realized all he wanted was to get his money back. I feel like I lose hope. My dream is not going to happen anymore. It was another warm, sunny day in Southern California, and Silver Saddle was getting shut down. I'm Emily Guerin, and welcome to the final episode of California City. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. 
Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. Regulatory resolutions ran the raid on Silver Saddle that day. They're what's called a court-appointed receiver. They're a company that takes control of other companies that are being sued, and they run them while the case is proceeding. Getting a receiver appointed is kind of a big deal. It means the judge thinks the state is likely to win their case. It also means a judge thinks that the company being sued will keep harming people unless they're shut down. Regulatory Resolutions wrote a really detailed report of what happened on September 25th. It's kind of a play-by-play, and I have spent a lot of time with this document. And I also talked to someone who was there that day, but he only agreed to talk to me if I didn't reveal his name. So just after 10 a.m., the group opened the door and they walked inside. They found seven women and one man busy packing up 37 file cabinets worth of documents. There were boxes everywhere. Apparently, they had been preparing to close the Burbank office and move everything out to California City. One of the guys who worked for regulatory resolutions coolly told all the employees, everybody remain calm. Step away from your computers and leave your phones on your desks. Come with us to the break room. There's a lawsuit against Silver Saddle. Just give me a few minutes. We need to take care of a few things. The CHP officers swept the office. They looked for all the possible exits and made sure no one could sneak out a hard drive or a file folder. The locksmith changed the locks. Joe, the computer forensic specialist, began copying hard drives, emails, spreadsheets, and bank statements. Then, regulatory resolutions began pulling people out of the break room one by one to see who knew what. After questioning them, they escorted the employees back to their desks so they could collect their coffee mugs, their sweaters, any pictures of their kids. The team opened file cabinets, drawers, they opened boxes. They scanned any document that seemed interesting and labeled what office it had come from. They worked late, they ordered sandwiches, they came in early, they worked late again. Out in California City, Silver Saddle Ranch was nearly deserted when the authorities arrived. There were just six employees there, mostly the people who took care of the animals. 12 goats, 12 sheep, five chickens, four horses, two ponies, two burros, two alpacas, two peacocks, one llama, and four cats, including the cat I met, Midnight. They made arrangements to move most of the animals off-site and feed the ones that stayed behind. Then a locksmith changed the exterior locks on all the buildings. The front gate was chained shut, and a makeshift plywood sign was left leaning against it. 
It read in green spray paint, no trespassing, state authorized access only. And then they all left. This raid was two years in the making. In mid-2017, this state agency called the California Department of Business Oversight received its first complaint about Silver Saddle. The DBO regulates a lot of different financial transactions, student loans, mortgages, banks, and securities. And they told me the complaint they'd received was from someone who had won a raffle at a Filipino grocery store. This person had gotten a call inviting them to a buffet dinner, and there, they'd been invited to spend a free weekend at Silver Saddle where they said they were pressured into spending a bunch of money. So the DBO investigated, and they came to the conclusion that Silver Saddle was selling unlicensed securities. Okay, so let me just explain this. Remember how when Ben Perez bought his share of the land banking project, he spent $31,540? Well, when I looked at his paperwork, I realized it wasn't a lump sum. There were a bunch of smaller charges including $2,000 to this thing called the Capital Improvement Fund. And in a letter Tom Maney wrote to investors that would later wind up in court documents, he said that this fund would be used to develop the empty desert land that surrounds the ranch. But the DBO decided that the Capital Improvement Fund was actually a security. It was something of value that you can trade, like stocks. And the DBO said Silver Saddle didn't have a permit to sell securities. So in May 2018, one month after I began my research for this podcast, the DBO told Silver Saddle to stop. Stop selling the Capital Improvement Fund and stop saying untrue or misleading things about it. In other words, the DBO wasn't going after Silver Saddle over land sales because land sales isn't what they enforce. But they could sink their teeth into this other thing, the Capital Improvement Fund. They explained all this when I called them. And after we hung up, we went our separate ways. I was investigating. They were investigating. Silver Saddle did stop selling the Capital Improvement Fund, but they kept right on selling the land banking project, according to the DBO. It felt like a slap on the wrist. So I was totally caught off guard when the email appeared in my inbox in September 2019, saying the DBO was shutting down Silver Saddle completely. I was really curious what had changed, but DBO investigators wouldn't talk to me. So I asked someone else, someone who was working on the case, and he told me that maybe the fact that I had been digging around had put Silver Saddle on the DBO's radar. There was, as he put it, starting to be a drumbeat. Silver Saddle was getting shut down, and there was a court hearing coming up. It was Silver Saddle's chance to appeal, to make their case before a judge that they didn't need regulatory resolutions taking control of their company, of their 37 file cabinets, their 16 bank accounts, or their dozen sheep. So of course I had to go. That's after a break. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.
The hearing was on October 16th at the San Diego County Superior Court. I got there early and I sat in the front row of the courtroom as people filed in. At the front of the seating area, there was this bailiff in uniform who paced back and forth. She barked at people to put away their phones and take off their sunglasses. And if they didn't understand what she was saying, she just yelled louder and slower until someone translated. Once all 42 seats were taken, she began turning people away. At 1.30 p.m., Judge Joel Wolfville walked in in his long black robe, and we all stood. He sat, and we sat. Two men remained standing, facing the judge, the lawyer for the DBO in a light gray suit, and the lawyer for Tom Maney in a charcoal one. There was another lawyer on the phone. He didn't mute himself, so everyone could hear his loud breathing. Tom Maney's lawyer argued that a court-appointed receiver was unnecessary. Shutting down Silver Saddle would do more harm than good. And there was no evidence of a cover-up. The DBO's lawyer disagreed. He said there were suspicious transfers of money. He said Silver Saddle had squandered tens of millions of dollars. He said they lied and targeted unsophisticated consumers. Then it was the judge's turn. He sided with the DBO. In order to protect the public, Silver Saddle needed to stay closed and regulatory resolutions kept in charge. The whole thing maybe lasted 20 minutes and then everyone got up and filed out to the hallway. I tried to catch the DBO's lawyer. I'm Emily Barry. I'm a reporter. Yeah, I, I, we're in here. We can't make any comments to you today. I didn't know it then, but the DBO lawyer knew exactly who I was. He'd listened to my interview with Tom Maney, the one that Tom had secretly recorded. It had been on a computer at the Burbank office. Okay. All right. Nice to meet you. Thanks. Outside the courtroom, people were huddled together in groups, and their voices echoed off the hard stone floors. As I tried to decide who to talk to, a woman in a pretty silk scarf came up to me. Hello. Hi. I'm Chinese investor. Oh, okay. I'm Emily. I'm a reporter. Nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you, too. Uh, my English is not good. I just can speak some. Okay. So I want to let my friend interpret yeah. for me. Okay. okay. Yeah, I Lian Hui Shou had driven all the way from Orange County. Her interpreter friend, David Dai, was also a Silver Saddle investor. He wore a suit for the occasion. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm Emily. Emily David. Nice to meet you, David. Do you mind if I record? And through David, Lian Hui started telling me about how a Silver Saddle sales agent had pressured her into buying a share of the land banking project. Okay, she just said, okay, at a time, they sold those land. They say, you know, their water, their sewage, their road is built, but now, there's nothing there. And you couldn't cancel it? No, you you cannot. Once I you cancel them, But uh, uh, they said, no. So you don't think it's a good investment? You don't think you'll ever be able to make money off of it? You just want your money back? We want the money back now. By this point, a small group had gathered around us. At least one person was filming me. David turned to speak to them, kind of like a preacher addressing his congregation. Absolutely. Everybody? Yes. yes. Everybody? Yes. Yeah, that means we want to take our money back. That's the Chinese. That man yelling out was Jin Daohua. His eyes were big, and they flashed beneath his bushy eyebrows. His mortified teenage daughter hid behind his shoulder as David translated. 
They are the cheaters, and you know they cheated us. He wants to stop, stop them from cheating again and cheating the different people. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. No, thank you. And that's my. David told me he learned the hard way not to trust America's laws. You know what? We are immigrants, and uh, we thought in America we cannot imagine this happened to us. How come? Very naive. You think so?、Uh, yeah, yeah. And we think everything is law and order, and we have so much trust on the, the those business peoples, and that they give up good presentation. Does it make you think differently about America? I was not say different. I was say add more experience. I know America better. Hello. Hey, Ben. Hi, Emily. Hi. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Okay. Cool.、Um, so, what like what what did you think when you saw this、um, press release about Silver Saddle being shut down? Like, how did you feel? I feel like you know a sense of relief that it's finally over. It had been over two years since Ben's trip to Silver Saddle. Two years since he'd signed away his food truck money. It's been a long time. Like I feel super hopeless. But do you feel any better now, knowing that like you might get it back? Hopefully, yeah.、Uh, Yeah, you don't. You don't. I'm not convinced. <laughs> I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Ben was not confident that the lawsuit would help him. Not nearly as confident as David and his group. In reading through court documents, I could see why. Silver Saddle's finances were a mess. Years had passed without any basic accounting at all. Their books were so disorganized. The DBO's fraud examiner determined it must be deliberate. Silver Saddle must have been transferring money between multiple accounts to make it difficult to trace. Most of the money the fraud examiner found was gone. A lot of it was used to pay sales agents. Marion DeCrew had been making three hundred thousand dollars a year, according to the DBO. All that was left was the ranch itself and all the things that had been left behind, including two American flags, two projector screens, four booster seats. Eight broken paddle boats, fifteen fake wine bottles, one cowboy statue, one jackalope, and one hot dog roaster. The DBO wants Silver Saddle to give all the investors their money back, but how? Even if they sold the ranch and sold all the vacant land that remained, it wouldn't generate near enough money to pay everyone back in full, because the land was near worthless real estate, as the DBO put it. They said people like Ben Perez had paid around a hundred times more than what it was really worth—a hundred times. But in the courtroom in San Diego, Tom Manny's lawyer proposed a solution: the people who'd bought into Silver Saddle could take over the ranch from Tom Manny and run it themselves. David and Lian Hui did not like that idea one bit. Oh, it is maintaining the original contract. She just, you know,、uh, said what they want is do not do anything. Just, you know, take the land, take the ranch. Then, you know, we're we're done. This is not the right way. This is not the correct illegal 
action at all. They didn't want anything to do with Silver Saddle. They just wanted as much money back as possible. And given the charges against Silver Saddle and the dozens of investors I'd talked to, I assumed most people felt this way. But then I met Antonio Garcia. Antonio was standing at the opposite end of the courthouse hallway from David and Lianhui's group. He was a large man in a baggy suit with a Bluetooth in his ear. And he was standing very close to Tom Maney's lawyer, surrounded by a group of people who were listening intently. And in the 2,000 people that are members or investors, there are people there there are doctors, there are accountants right, sure. you know, that, that, that can run this place to make it good. They were discussing the proposal Tom Maney's lawyer had made earlier in the courtroom. Antonio said that he had a large group of people who all wanted to take over the ranch from Tom Maney. That if we have control, we would make the money back that we invested. Antonio said all he needed was to convince the court that everyone who had bought into Silver Saddle was on the same page. So Tom Maney's lawyer had an idea. Maybe a survey might be helpful. Yeah, we'll do a survey and we'll send it to everybody. Okay. I realized I'd talked to Antonio before on the phone. I'd asked Debbie Nicastro, the woman we'd interviewed with Tom Maney, for the names of some people who were happy with Silver Saddle. It made me wonder if maybe Antonio and Tom Maney were working together. That, in the way Antonio was talking to Tom's lawyer, standing so close, speaking so calmly. Are you driving back somewhere right now? Uh, we're going to have a meeting someplace. Okay, do, I mean, can I come? Uh, I don't know. I introduced myself, and Antonio told me if I wanted to keep talking, I could meet him at a restaurant a few miles away from the courthouse. I'm going into Erlinda's Filipino cuisine and ice cream parlor. Antonio was sitting around a table with a few people I recognized from the hallway. They'd already eaten, and the table was littered with styrofoam plates and dirty napkins. An older man offered to buy me something to eat. What is it called? It's called halo halo. Oh, I've always wanted to try that, actually. What ice cream do you want? Is there, like, green tea? Or Thai tea? They have Thai tea. Oh, I'll have green tea ice cream. The older man plopped a huge plastic cup of ice cream, coconut, and sweet red beans in front of me. I tried semi-successfully to eat it with one hand while I held the microphone with the other. I mentioned I'd been talking to David at the courthouse. And that's the guy who doesn't like us. He's contrary to what we're doing. He, he will tell you that we were not honest and, and all that stuff, blah, 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 and whatever. Which... Antonio told me that Silver Saddle and all the land around it still had a lot of potential. It was going to be worth something someday. He had what I think Catherine Efford would call the vision. It's, it's a good location for many of the high-tech high industries. There was a one-time talk about Virgin Airlines using it uh, as a place to, to develop their, their space program. That in, a, in itself alone brings a lot of value. He said there could be a hemp farm there, or a field of solar panels, or a water park. The land already had water and power. But remember, Las Vegas was a desert before it became Las Vegas. On the one hand, you had the people who were mad at Tom Maney, the ones who blamed him, 
the ones who want nothing to do with the land and they just want their money back. And then there were the people who see a future for Silver Saddle and for California City. People like Antonio, who explained it all to me absentmindedly as he picked at the food on his plate, chewing as he spoke. Uh, we acknowledge the fact that there is some mismanagement of the money. So are you, do you blame him? Are you mad at him or no. angry in any way? No. No? They're mad at him because of what? Uh, I think they feel like he and the salespeople lied about the value of the land and, and pressured them and you know, told them they would make a lot of money overnight, and then they, they didn't. They were not told that they were going to make money overnight. They were told that they will make, they'll make money as soon as it is developed. The promise to make money is later on in the future. In other words, Silver Saddle was a long-term investment. Just like Tom Maney had told me, long-term. It was so familiar. And are you affiliated with Tom Maney or no. uh, Marion or Silver Saddle in no. any way? No. Totally separated. Okay. Anything that you heard otherwise is, is not true. After an hour and a half, my hollow hollow was a melted, gloppy syrup. Antonio was done picking at his food, and the other people with him seemed restless about their long drives home. I shook their hands and I ordered a styrofoam container of mung bean stew to go. I took it outside, and I ate it on the curb as the sun set over the empty parking lot. In the weeks after I met Antonio, I kept asking myself the same question I'd had about Nat Mendelssohn and Tom Maney. What are Antonio's intentions? I decided to ask one more person, Daryl Horowitz. Antonio had hired him to represent all the people who bought into Silver Saddle. But for reasons that are too complicated to explain, he's no longer representing them. I can't describe any attorney-client communications, but I can tell you that when I worked with them, there was no indication they were working with Mr. Maney. Except the Department of Business Oversight does have an indication that Antonio was working with Mr. Maney. I found it in some court documents. It was a quote from an email that Marion DeCrew had written to one of her clients. She was suggesting that the client elect Antonio as the official representative of the people who had bought into Silver Saddle. Please vote for the following people, she'd written. They are all members of our team. I still don't know if Antonio was working with Silver Saddle. But either way, Daryl seemed to be trying to distance himself from him. Look, hope springs eternal for a lot of these people. They have this romantic notion that it's going to be something, if it, if just given the chance, it will, it will happen. And again, it's never going to. You and I rationally can look at it and realize it probably isn't ever going to happen. Why do people believe things that they know or believe to be false? It's because we have a default to truth. We want to believe people are telling us the truth. Real estate is the basis of all wealth, period. Worldwide, basis of all wealth. Kings, queens, and wars are fought over her. If she's dirt, someone's going to die for that piece of dirt. That's just All of the DBO's findings and evidence show that what Silver Saddle sold at the price they sold it for is a bad investment. 
By any measure, such pricing was astronomical and not supported by any market metric, reads the receiver's report. So why do people like Antonio still believe? I think it's because what Silver Saddle salespeople were selling, what salespeople in California City have sold for decades in one form or another, is a particularly beguiling dream. A dream that through blood and sweat and a little luck, we can make the desert into our garden. California owes its very existence to this dream. Our dams, our aqueducts, our fields of almonds, our herds of cattle, our freeways, our cities. We made the desert bloom. We turned dust into gold. So why not in California City? Why not in one more place? By mid-August, Ben Perez had been out of work for five months. The pandemic forced Google to close its campus in early March. And so, with no Googlers to cook for, Ben got sent home. He's on unemployment now. His mom, his three brothers, and his sister still live together. Ben still sleeps on the couch. The case against Silver Saddle was on hold for months because of coronavirus, and it's nowhere near finished. But Regulatory Resolutions has been busy. They're selling off Silver Saddle's assets, which is something the court has allowed them to do to try to generate as much money as possible for people like David, Leon Hui, and Ben. They sold one horse for $2,500. They sold 12 sheep and 10 goats for $500. And now they're trying to sell the ranch itself and the thousand acres of empty land that surrounds it for $2.5 million, which is a fraction of what Silver Saddle claimed it was worth. If the sale goes through, Ben Perez will get less than $1,300 back. He spent more than $31,000. Antonio Garcia, of course, hates this idea. He thinks the ranch is worth way more than $2.5 million. He thinks regulatory resolutions just doesn't understand its potential. He thinks they don't have the vision. And he's still trying to convince the judge that he and all the other people who bought into Silver Saddle should run the ranch themselves. That's how they'll make all their money back. Testing, one, two, three, testing, testing. I decided to come back to California City one more time. I don't know, I guess I just wanted to see it in the age of coronavirus, see if anything's changed. I mean, honestly, it looked just as quiet as it normally does. I drove out here to Silver Saddle and was just shocked again by how far away it is. I mean, California City is already so remote, and Silver Saddle is in the most remote part of California City. That plywood sign with the green spray paint is gone. Instead, there's an actual keep out, no trespassing sign. But I know the road to Galileo Hill is still public, so I drove up here and put the e-brake on, and now I'm just standing out here. It's windy today, and the birds are drafting ravens or maybe they're crows 
There's a mylar balloon blowing around in a creosote bush. And there's a billboard for the Galileo project, the land banking project that Ben Perez and thousands of other people bought into. The billboard blew over at some point. It's just sitting there on the ground, faded in the sun. It's been a long time. I feel like it's been a really long time since I first came to this place. I think if I were in charge of selling land here, I would focus on the silence. I mean, it is a stunning thing to experience. Where else within 100 miles of Los Angeles can you hear absolutely nothing man-made, just the wind? California City is unlike anywhere else I have ever been. And I think it's because Nat Mendelssohn's dream failed to come true. If he hadn't dreamed so big and come up so short, California City would be, I don't know, unmemorable. I mean, it would just be any other Sunbelt suburb. It wouldn't be a place where you can just belt out karaoke and then wander home still singing on curving, moonlit roads. It wouldn't be a place where you can spend a cool spring morning on top of a man-made waterfall hearing thrushes sing. It wouldn't be a place where you can trace the tracks of long-gone wagons across the windswept ground. And it wouldn't be a place where you can drive to the top of Galileo Hill and stare out the beautiful nothingness. The nothingness is what makes the anything possible. I'm good. California City is written and reported by me, Emily Guerin. Sound design, production, and story editing by the brilliant Arwen Champion Nix and James Kim. Editing by Mike Kessler, who stays cool and always gets it done. This podcast belongs to the three of you, too. Fact-checking and additional production by the diligent Gabriel Donatoff. Mixing, mastering, and all things engineering by the talented and patient Valentino Rivera. Our incredible original music is by Andrew Eben. Our website is elias.com slash California City, and it was designed by Andy Cheatwood and the digital and marketing teams at Southern California Public Radio. Our very talented photographer is Chava Sanchez. Leo Gomez designed our visuals and our logo. Thanks so much to the team at LA Studios, including Taylor Kaufman, Angela Bromstad, and Kristen Muller. 
And special thanks to Megan Garvey for letting me out of the KPCC newsroom for so long to work on this. Thanks also to Herb Scannell, Adrian Hill, John Raby, Sal Licurdo, Eduardo Perez, Bill Davis, Bianca Ramirez, Carlene Goller, and Gabby Weinberger. There were so many people I interviewed for this podcast whose stories did not make it in, but they taught me so much. Thanks to Alexia Saveda, Naya Gonzalez, Tom Weil, Michael Raceburn, Bruce Ducker, Bill White and Mimi Avens, Herbert Hunt, Chris Bachman, Francis He, Maria Konnikova, Ralph Khalil, Shannon Starkey, Jenny Fajardo, Lenny Martinez, the Carlos family, Fung Nguyen, Renee Clementi, Richard Arredondo, Eladio Morales, and Julie Dawson. The Jane and Ron Olson Center for Investigative Reporting helped make California City possible. Ron Olson is an honorary trustee for Southern California Public Radio, and the Olsons do not have any editorial input on the stories we cover. A special thanks to all the KPCC and LAist members who make our work possible. California City is a production of LA Studios. Thank you so much for listening. Colorado River is running dry. Water may not reach millions of people. So if there's no water, there's no water for everybody. It's up to California's lead negotiator, a 28-year-old. This is a historic thing coming. And six other negotiators to find a solution. I want an agreement that lessens the pain for all of us, not just some of us. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts.